So good morning. Last week, as if you were here, you would have known we're being looking at the life of Elijah. So we're introduced to him and he's one of the greatest prophets in the Bible. And last week we looked at how he was told to go and give a message to an evil king, a message that was because this king was leading Israel away from worshipping God to worship a false god called Baal. So he prophesied and said that there will be no rain falling until I say so. So Elijah bursts onto the scene in this big, amazing ministry with this big message. But then after that, God took him away to small places, small steps. And in those small things, God was leading and guiding him and growing him, preparing him for what was coming next, the highs and the lows. So last week, if you're here, you know, we talked about God leading Elijah to the Kerith Brook, a place where he was going to hide Elijah for a time a desert place, but we looked at how this desert place was actually also a very sacred place. God was providing food and water for him, no rain, but a place for him to hide. And we pick up the story here in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 7. It says, But after a while the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. So remember, this is the drought that Elijah prayed for. And it's now affecting him in this hiding place where God had led him. His own survival was at stake. God took him here. What was happening here? Now, he could have easily prayed for God to bring rain, to break this drought. Because after all, he said, until I say so, the rain will stop. Until I say so, well, if I say, does that mean God's going to bring rain? What would you do in this situation? Would your survival instincts kick in? God, knowing full well that God can absolutely change this situation. He's given you this message and he's also giving you the tools to pray and bring rain back. Watching that stream, that brook, get smaller and smaller for Elijah would have been really hard. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you're watching something you hoped for, something you dreamed about, something you you want that is good, just slowly slip away? It's really hard. And even though Elijah's watching this brook get smaller and smaller, he was fully trusting in God. His faith didn't waver. God had provided for him so far in this hiding desert place, this sacred place. Surely he was not going to let him die. You know that saying, this is the 11th hour, the clock goes from obviously 1 to 12, and as you're getting closer to the 12th, the 11th hour, it's at the last moment, you're waiting in expectation for the 12th hour to come. So Elijah's situation, he's in the 11th hour, but it goes beyond, it goes past. The stream is completely dried up, and it's only when it's past the 11th hour that God speaks. Verse 8 says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So imagine Elijah, a way forward. But God seems to be leading Elijah into another really impossible, weird situation. So have a look on the screen. You'll see a map there. For starters, Zarephath is actually a really long way away from Kerith Brook, where God had initially led Elijah. This walk would have taken him days So how did he get there? He didn't have any food and water. And why doesn't the Bible tell us about this journey? What happened along the way? How did God provide for him? It's quite um, a mystery. But why is God leading him so far away? We don't know about that journey, unfortunately. But when Elijah arrives there in Zarephath, it's it's a meaningful place. 
this village, this village of Zarephath was not accidental. So names and places in the Old Testament have a lot of significance and a lot of meaning. So if we look up that name Zarephath in the ancient Hebrew, that word actually means refinery, a smelting place. So God had taken Elijah from the Kereth brook, which means to cut away or to cut off, and now God is taking him to Zarephath, which means to refine. It appears God had cut away all that he needed to at the, by that brook. He'd done his work there, but now God is going to continue to work in his life and going to continue to refine him. Lord, when is enough enough? Surely that first place was hard enough for Elijah. And if we think about that refining process, when precious metals are taken out of the ground, they're taken out, there are rocks surrounding it, so those rocks are cut away. More gold is visible when that process has been done, but the gold is still dirty, it's still impure. So to get its full value, its full worth, its full beauty, it's put in the fire to burn up those impurities, to make the product pure gold. And it's in that fire, in that really hot, under-pressure state that that gold has been able to be moulded into, into shape. So this is what's going to happen to Elijah in a spiritual sense. And some of you can probably identify in your own life right now that maybe you're in that refining place. You're in the middle of the fire right now. But there's one more detail we need to pay attention to in this story is God is taking Elijah to a widow in a foreign country. So Zarephath is actually in the nation where King Ahab's wife Jezebel comes from. Sidon is the home of the evil queen Jezebel. So this is also the home ground of the worship of Baal. It's this enemy territory, an unlikely place for God to take his prophet, his messenger, his mouthpiece. Why is God leading his messenger to a foreign country, evil territory, a a land that worships Baal? Why would he take the journey there? And I'm sure Elijah, when God said, go to this place, he was not excited about the prospect of that. Has God ever led you to unexpected places? A place that you know that God has led you to, but you're struggling to understand why or where he is in this situation. Because so often as Christians, we find ourselves in places and circumstances where it might be hard and uncomfortable. We might be without or we might be lacking. And we don't like it. And we question, how, God, are you in this place? This place feels so devoid of your presence. This is evil. This is not where you should take me. We're surprised at how and why God has brought us here. How can you lead me to this place right now, God? Is God punishing me when things are hard and when stuff goes wrong? Is God purposely hurting me? How can God be good in this situation when I'm surrounded by pain and suffering? If God really loved me, why is it so hard? Have I done something so bad that God has turned his back on me? What do I make of it when my life circumstances have led me to this difficult place? And what is the truth when we're in that hard place? Did God cause it? Is that our fault? Is God punishing me? Well, Psalm 103 actually gives us some insight into this. Psalm 103 from verse 10, it says, He, meaning God, does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us 
as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is great as the height of the heavens above the earth. For he has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. God doesn't punish us for our stuff-ups, for the things we get wrong. Because Jesus has dealt with our sin on the cross. He has removed our sin and when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus' perfection because that's what the cross is all about. And this is the promise we need to keep coming back to again and again. God loves us. He's forgiven us. So when he's leading us to this place of refinement, or when we lead ourselves to that place of refinement through life circumstances and choices, he isn't punishing us in that place. He's using it to grow us. When we're under fire, when the situation is hot, he's refining us to make us more beautiful than before, to make us of more worth than before. No one likes being under pressure. No one likes tough and difficult circumstances. But God's promise is that he is with you. Don't be surprised when it feels hot. God is getting rid of those things in our life to draw us closer to him, to make us more like him, to shine brighter. Now, if you look back over the difficult things in your life, ask yourself the question, did it change me? Because you think about your life when it's easy, when you're just cruising There's no need for change. Why change when things are going really smoothly? Why do something different when things are working perfectly? We don't need change when it's easy. Suffering brings about change. And the Apostle Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. It says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Our gold is always stunning. You are always stunning. The gold, even when it's been dug out of the ground, like we talked about before, is dirty. When it's gone through this refining process, it's pure, it shines brighter, it's worth much more. And as hard as your situation might be, look at how God is refining you. Because Peter goes on to say in verse 13, Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. That refining process puts pressure on us, but God does it to draw us closer to him, so we become more like him. So back to Elijah. He willingly goes to this place of refinement, and let's have a look at what happens. So verse 10 in 1 Kings. So he went to Zarephath, and he arrived at the gates of the village. He saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread too. So God was leading Elijah to this refining place to minister to this widow. Now God didn't ask him to go to a high-ranking official in this place that would elevate Elijah, that would give him fame. God wasn't asking Elijah to go to an influencer that would share with the rest of the world these miracles that God was doing. God sent Elijah to a nobody a person of no significance in the world, a person that the world had forgotten. This widow was the lowest of society. No family to look after her, no money, no status, an enemy of Elijah in an enemy territory. Now think about it. Elijah had been called to be the messenger to the king and suddenly he's here with this widow in nowhere land with a nobody. 
what was Elijah's big important job in this situation? To prophesy and to provide a small amount of flour and oil to keep them alive? Now I wonder if Elijah would have been questioning God. Why have you led me here? I'm a Jew. She's a Gentile. She's not going to provide for me. She knows. She can see the difference between us. I'm her enemy. God, what have you done? I'm your prophet, your mouthpiece. You've called me to great things. Surely this is below me. Surely someone else can do this job of looking after her. Now I wonder if you've ever complained to God like that in similar circumstances. You find yourself in nowhere land doing mundane, ordinary tasks. And you question God, God, is this really all that you have for me? Maybe you're a parent who has taken a step back from work where you've had influence and authority in the workplace where people would come to you for advice, would come to you just to to be in your presence because you're doing great things in this company. And all of a sudden, because you've taken a step back, you're in the middle of toddlers, nappies, washing and cleaning. And you question God, what happened I'm in nowhere land doing ordinary mundane things in my life. Where has that greatness gone? Or maybe for you, all of a sudden, you've come to have health issues and it feels like everything in your world has been taken away. You're serving a church, you're making a difference in the world and suddenly you can't do that. Everything has gone. It feels like nothing's left. Or maybe you've lost your dream job and suddenly you're just making, only just making ends meet. It's not thriving. You are just surviving day by day. What happened, God? I'm in nowhere land doing nothing great. So God had taken Elijah from Israel to this little village of insignificance to continue to refine him and minister to this widow. These two people, we don't even know the names of the widow and her son. Don't discount the small things that God is asking you to do, even though they seem insignificant. Small things are extremely significant to God, and he can do big things through our small acts of obedience because we don't know what God is going to do in our situation. God sees the small things that are unseen to the world. And when we are faithful in those things, he is preparing us and growing our capacity to stretch us more and follow him more and to greater things. Don't discount what God is asking you to do in the secret. Elijah's obedience in this nowhere land changed someone else's world. And your obedience in the small things might just do the same. It might refine you, change you, but it might bring life to someone else. So God had called Elijah to minister to this widow, and he went. Imagine the suffering of this woman. She lost her husband, and this drought that Elijah prayed for was affecting her as well. She was forced to face the fact that her and her son were going to die. This widow, from all we know, doesn't follow God. She probably knows that Elijah is a Jew and probably doesn't know that he's actually a prophet, God's messenger. But in this moment where Elijah asks her for a cup of water, she puts aside her suffering just for a moment and says, I'm going to go get you a cup of water. Now, a cup of water at this stage probably didn't cost the widow too much. She'd probably been to the well already that morning. She probably had the water fairly handy. But look at verse 11, what happens next. It says, as she was going to get at the water, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. Imagine the audacity of Elijah as soon as he says, yeah, I'm going to comply, I'm going to get this water for you, yells out after her as she's going to get that, oh, by the way, can you get me some food as well? 
I wonder what this lady was thinking. Who is this guy? But the amazing thing about this widow, she doesn't get angry at Elijah. She doesn't tell him he's crazy. She, and she knows he's a stranger. She doesn't run away. She's not scared. She states the facts. And this is what she says in verse 12. She said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal and then my son and I will die. Now this is a crossroad, an impossible situation for this widow. Do you believe a stranger, an enemy, who says they have a message from God? Because this is what Elijah replies in verse 13. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make me a little bread first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. Don't be afraid. I'd be very afraid in this situation. Would you trust someone who is asking you to give everything you have to them? Don't be afraid. How does this crazy man think this miracle, this magic is going to happen? Jars that never ending. This is ridiculous information that she's getting, an outrageous request. And I'd be totally skeptical. What would you do in this situation? This is risky for the widow. There's three things. She could ignore Elijah and bake the bread for her and her son and have their last meal. She could cook the meal for Elijah and risk giving it to him and then that's it. She doesn't even get her last meal. Or she could trust the words that this man of God was saying and, and trust that a miracle is going to happen. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, probably if we're in that situation, we would have kept the bread to ourselves. Because this isn't just a small step of faith for her. This is like a giant leap. Now, have you ever been given a promise from God and it seems impossible? Do you struggle to believe it? And then as time goes by, you think, that promise from God, what happened to that? It never came about. What is the, the go with that? Because we know that God doesn't lie. We know God always comes through. So what, what happened to that promise? It doesn't make sense. But has God ever asked you to take a leap of faith, the next step? Sometimes God brings his promises to come about by himself, but sometimes he asks us to take a leap of faith, to bring that into fulfillment. Now we can learn so much from the actions of this widow because her response is really quite surprising. She says, So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. She took a leap of faith in the God she knew nothing about. She trusted him. This widow had more faith in God than all of Israel put together because they had turned away from him. The widow chose to trust God and God provided. God chose someone we consider weak and insignificant, someone broken to be part of something that would influence the world for the rest of the time, we are still reading her story. So as God was refining Elijah and his life was being transformed, Elijah's obedience meant that the widow's life was saved as well. Don't despise the small things that God is asking you to do as he's refining you. 
Because when he's refining us, when he's stretching us, when we feel pressure, when it's hot, he's asking us to trust. Because he does some of the most powerful work in our lives in those moments. And he can also use us in those moments when we're under pressure to bless those around us. So is God refining you? And how is he asking you to trust him in that process? Because small steps of obedience change your life and can change the life of those around us. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, thank you so much that you are such a loving and compassionate God. That when you look at us, when we trust in you, you see Jesus. You do not punish us, but you lead us to those places to make us more beautiful, to draw us closer to you, to refine us, to shine brighter. And I pray that as we, if people are here this morning, as we feel those situations where it's tough, where it's hot, where we're under pressure, when it's fiery, that your presence will be more real, that we will see the results that, of you working in our lives. Lord, I pray that you will change us that you'll grow us, that you'll get us ready for the next steps. And I pray for those small things around us, that you'll work in amazing, miraculous ways, that we will be obedient no matter what you are calling us to do. pray that you'll open our eyes to, to what you're doing in our lives and what you're doing in the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.